Welcome to Good Christophian Talks. I'm Levi. And I'm Chris. And I'm Brian. Thank you for joining us this week. On this podcast, we select one talk a week to help us get the Bible in our daily newsfeed. We post a new episode at the start of each week with a short intro beforehand to kind of set the stage for the talk you're about to listen to. And now, let's talk more about this week's talk. This class is titled, I've Desired to Eat This Passover With You by Brother Greg Reed from the Launchester Ecclesia in uh, Tasmania. I'm sure I didn't pronounce that right. Um, This is a Bible class uh, presented at a midweek class, and Brother Greg mentions that this is actually kind of an exhortation that he expanded for the Bible class, Um, but I really enjoyed it. I thought he made some really excellent points comparing the Passover uh, to the Last Supper, um, and kind of expanding some of the shared uh, biblical symbols that are there. I most especially love the point that he makes about the blood uh, being on the house and being saved by the blood, not particularly being saved by being in the house. Um, so it's a really good class. I very much enjoyed it, and I'm excited to share it. I also felt it was fitting as we just had Passover um, two days ago um, on uh, on our Friday, and uh, and we, it's a uh, it's, it's still. Uh, a very helpful thing to remember that it is the, in a way, the Passover that we remember. It's our salvation that we remember every Sunday. This class was a suggestion. Thank you to the brother that sent it in, and thank you to all all the all of you who uh, remember to send us suggestions. We greatly appreciate it. Here is a desire to share this Passover by Brother Greg. Thanks, Brother Stephen, and good evening, my dear brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ and our young people. Good evening to Brandon there, and if I go that to Brandon, he knows what I'm talking about. And it is the theme in Luke 22, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. I think we'd all agree, it's it's an understatement, that words are powerful. Words are triggers, aren't they? And when we come to tonight's subject, the ministry of our Lord in Luke 22... I've put up the top there, the Last Supper. I want some help here, just briefly. What are some of the other terms we use for the Sunday meeting? Memorial Memorial meeting? Yep. What else do we use? Sorry? Thank you. Yep. Anything else? Yep. Yep. Heard that one. Other ones that we use? Yep. Thank you. Memorial feast? Yep. Anything else? The terminology we use, aren't they? None of them, I don't think, or breaking of bread, but memorial meeting, meeting of remembrance, they're all words put together. Not all of them are actually straight from Scripture, are they? It's just interesting because when we look at the memorial meeting, the Jewish aspect is the Passover. And what I mean by words are powerful is when we use words, what do you expect to get out of a Sunday meeting, out of the memorial meeting, the meeting of remembrance, the breaking of bread? If you use a Passover, which I like to use, to me it triggers a whole different aspect, the whole aspect of what the Lord and why the Lord desired to eat this Passover with his twelve. So often we can come to the memorial meeting with a particularly traditional approach, and I'm not saying what that is, but what do you want to get out of the Sunday memorial meeting? So let's look at our Lord's words in Luke. So, first part, I've used that to depict the bread. Now often again in bread and wine we break each one up and we define the bread as this and the wine as that. There's nothing wrong with that, is there? But we must always remember when we put something, pull something apart, put it back together. It won't work. So the bread. And then we've got that, the resurrection morning, the cup, the new covenant, the resurrection. And for me, after studying Luke 22, the main thing that comes out of the record here is sharing together the victory. 
Now, is that how you look at a memorial meeting on a Sunday? Do we, I mean, we all come with our baggage, don't we? We all come with our battles, but why do we have to do it regularly? It's not every Sunday, of course. Scripturally, it doesn't say that. For, an off, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this wine, you do show the Lord's death till he come. So as often as you do it. But surely every time we get together, like when we looked at Deuteronomy a few years ago, we've got to have a game plan. We've got to have a reason why we do what we do, don't we? And I know Dave Bruce often says that quite frequently, you know, what are we doing this for? But every Sunday, are we sharing together victory? The Passover, I think it's powerful. doesn't mean we're going to start using it because I don't believe people will start using We've come this morning to share the Passover, share the victory, because I don't think anyone will do it. And I'm not a presider, so. So we're in Luke. Now, let's remember, let's keep the big picture. We're in the Gospel of Luke. Which face of the four cherub is the Gospel of Luke? Which face? The face of the man, please. Yep, let's go through this. You know, you've got the lion, the ox. The man and the eagle. This is the face of the man which describes Jesus as our great high priest. So let's keep that theme in mind when we go to Luke. We're not looking at Matthew. We're not looking at Mark. And what I love is if you go to John, the most spiritual gospel, he doesn't mention bread and wine at all. doesn't really mention the memorial meeting like that. He mentions bread. Where does he mention bread? Which is a big chapter on bread in John. John chapter... Thank you. And which is a big one on wine. John chapter... True vine. Brother Greg. Sorry, I shouldn't say that. Every Christian elfin should know this, Greg. My family grew up with that. They hate me for it, and that's true. John 15. I'm the true vine. It's also mentioned as a memory thing in Ezekiel 15. Because in Ezekiel 15, it talks about what's the value of the vine? It's no good for timber, is it? You grab a bit of the vine, you know, it's useless. It's only good for one thing, producing fruit. So remember, Gospel of Luke depicts thematically the Lord Jesus Christ as our great high priest. What was one of the necessary requirements to be a priest, taken from Hebrews 5? He must be a... Under the law, but in Hebrews 5, because Jesus is our great high priest, he had to be what? A woman? Hebrews 5. He had to be a, sort of trying to lead you there, a man. For every high priest taken from among men. Because he had to represent us. He had to share our infirmities. Share. That's one of the common themes we're going to get through this talk tonight. So the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is our great high priest. Now what's interesting when we come to Luke is, as we've got there, it's firstly written to Theophilus, which means a friend of God. Roman or Greek? Don't know. We can talk about that if we like, but he's not Jewish. Luke, and this is the thing with Luke, he alludes to Old Testament history more than quoting it. Different to Matthew, isn't it? You know, one of the common themes in Matthew. And it was fulfilled, that which was spoken by the prophets. Matthew writing to Jews to show the Jews Jesus was the Messiah. Luke writing to a Gentile, if you like. Jesus, our great high priest, our representative. And he is an historian. Luke will allude to Old Testament history rather than quoting it directly. Let's go to Luke 1 verse 5. Just... Briefly, Luke 1, verse 5. Luke chapter 1. How would the gospel of Luke start off, brothers and sisters, except referring to a priestly family? Of course it would. And what's interesting is, of course, Zechariah, of the course, verse 5, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, a certain priest named Zechariah. He was of the course of Abijah, one of the 24 courses that David set up. And his wife, Zachariah's wife, was Elizabeth. But notice how it words. And his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Does anyone know the actual name of the wife of Aaron? Exodus 6. What was the name of Aaron's wife? Someone loud heard it? 
Exactly right, same as Elizabeth, Elisheba. Does anyone know who she was the sister of? Nashon, does that trigger anything? What tribe did he belong to? So even in Aaron's wife, Elizabeth, was a connection already to the tribe of Judah. Now, we're not going to go from there. This is just showing you that Luke is an historian. There's a reason behind why he says that in verse 5, which we're not exploring tonight. And then he goes on to the credentials of John the Baptist, the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth. He was a priest by birth, yet he became a Nazarite. Which is interesting, isn't it? Why did he have to? He didn't. Because he could emulate, emulate the high priest. Let's go to Acts 2 verse 1. And this is important with Luke 22. This is important with Luke 22. Acts 2 verse 1. One verse. Now remember, this is written by Luke. Luke's an historian. He alludes to Old Testament history, doesn't necessarily quote it. And Luke says this in Acts 2 verse 1, and again, isn't it, as Roger Lewis says, and I'm sure other brethren have said, a good Bible study is good Bible reading. Read every word. And don't think, oh, we've read this over and over before. Like Luke 22. And when the day of Pentecost was Fully come. They were all with one accord in one place. Fully come. And Luke is telling us that what Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks symbolise has now come to fulfilment. Remember the two wave loaves, Jew and Gentile, come together as one, one accord. And then in Acts 2 goes on to show there were a whole load of Jews. Jewish, Grecians, Greeks, Gentiles that heard the speech of Peter. And Luke is saying this is the fulfilment of the day of Pentecost. But obviously in the millennium and beyond is a complete fulfilment. Now bear that in mind when we go back to Luke 22. Verse 1. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. Biblical language. It's the Passover. Sunday morning is the Passover. And I love Hebrew flavours to things, and I know Sister Polly does. Hence why I close my prayers in Jesus the Messiah. I don't use Christ. Again, that's me personally, because it means more to me. Christ is used so often that it almost becomes a surname. I'm not saying that is for you, it's just for me. That's why I use Messiah. I prefer the Hebrew flavour, as it were. And it's the Passover, verse 1. And the word Passover occurs only seven times in Luke, six times in this chapter. The other one is when Mary and Joseph go up to keep the Passover. So it's a theme, isn't it, obviously, in Luke 22, the Passover. The Jewish Passover as God intended it. Notice the distinction. Not as the Jews made it, but as God intended it. And as we should keep it on a Sunday at our memorial meeting. The historical event Luke is alluding to is the original Passover, Exodus 12. Always keep that in mind. That's the foundation for our memorial meeting. It's not the Day of Atonement, Feast of Tabernacles, it's the Passover. Each of them have their own dimension and aspect. And there it is. On the 14th of Nisan or Abib, the Passover, and then the next seven days is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And Luke just joins them together. He says this is all the Passover, all of it, and what it represents, what it means Probably is a better term than what it represents and symbolises because that can almost remain detached. What it actually means. Verse 2. So here they were to keep the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread and look what they were doing, the Jews, in verse 2. And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill Jesus for they feared the people. So what did they have in their hearts? Malice and wickedness. And we know from 1 Corinthians 5, you know, don't keep... The Passover with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. 
And already they were breaking the whole spirit of the law, weren't they? Verse 3. We're going to move through these first few verses quickly, believe it or not. Then entered Satan into Judas. What's his Hebrew name? Judas is? It is. It means praise. Judah. Bear that in mind. Judah. Praise. Surnamed Ascarius, being of Kirioth, being of the number of the twelve. And that's important. Being of the number of the twelve. Remember? Luke, Jesus Christ, the great high priest, our representative, who shares with us his nature and his victory. And Judas is one of the twelve. He shared his life with the Lord. And we have, for example, Psalm 41 verse 9, a reference to Judah or Judas. Mine own familiar friend, which did eat of my bread, have lifted up his heel against me. A good cross-reference, isn't it? Psalm 41 verse 9. Psalm 69, but there's other psalms. Verse 4. And he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him unto them. Betray means to surrender, to deliver up, to hand over. It's used a few times in this chapter. And sometimes we wonder at the memorial meeting, don't we? Have we betrayed our Lord? You know, is it I, Lord? And we make something out of that. It's not what it's about. To betray the Lord is to deny that he's Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah. And we're no longer sharing our life with him. So if you're here on Sunday, you don't have to go, is it I, Lord? It's got nothing to do with the context. You're here. You believe Jesus is the Messiah. You're not a betrayer in the meaning of that word. You don't have to search yourself to see if you are. That's not really what it's talking about. Verses 5 and 6. And they were glad, and Luke uses this, and covenanted, if you can pronounce it right, to give him money. And he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. Two different covenants in this chapter. Judah made a covenant with death. And those by faith make a covenant through Christ with God. A covenant of life. A new covenant. Just interesting in the phraseology Luke uses, covenanted. Here's what's interesting. Again, I say Luke alludes to Old Testament history. And Judah, in portraying Joseph, said, What profit is it if we slay our brother? Come, let us sell him, for he's our brother and our flesh. Judah. Judas. And they sold him for 20 pieces of silver, as we know. And there's no doubt Luke's alluding to Old Testament history as well. But Zechariah's interesting, isn't it? Because there it says about 30 pieces of silver. Talks about cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. And of course in Acts, what did Judah or Judas do? He threw the money back to the scribes and the Pharisees and they bought the potter's field. Just another, another leg, another dimension, which we're not going to look at tonight. Verse 7, then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And the word killed there is used in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7 to sacrifice. The sacrifice of the Passover. Let's move on. Verses 8 to 10. And Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. And they said unto him, where wilt thou that we prepare? And Jesus said unto them, behold, when you are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth in. A man bearing a pitcher of water. And what do we usually say when we get to that verse about a man bearing a pitcher of water? What do we usually say? Traditionally I say this, and it's not wrong. Who usually bore a pitcher of water? Thank you. That's the answer I want. It's not the complete answer. Because that's what we usually say. Oh, yeah, that's usually what women do. And the word pitcher, it means a potter's earth which also takes us to the potter's field, but we, we cite the only place that actually says it, of Rebecca, a woman that used a pitcher to gather the water to feed all the camels. And we have traditionally said that, oh, that's a woman's job, and it sometimes throws us off. But when you stick to a theme, Gospel of Luke, Jesus the great high priest, who else in the Old Testament bore pitchers of water? Got to think that through. 
Because often we're thrown off by the, that's a woman's job, it's not. Who else bore pitchers of water? Because they weren't allowed into the tabernacle, they weren't women. Sorry? Gibeonites? That's true. Sorry? Yep, who else? Thank you, Inca. The priests did. Women weren't in the tabernacle. You had the laver, the washings. It was the men, it was the priests. Now, this is Numbers 5 with the law of jealousy, but water in the northern vessel. What I'm trying to get at is to think. We've got to think outside tradition. We've got to let the Bible teach us, not just peddle tradition. It's a danger. We've got to look at the Bible ourselves. Gospel of Luke, Gospel of Jesus, our great high priest. There's a man bearing a pitcher of water, and we know where that pitcher ended up, don't we? John 11 and the Lord used it because he was a priest. And he was washing their feet as a priest. So it's not only women that bore pitchers or earthen vessels. The priest did within the tabernacle. Otherwise they couldn't have got the water from the laver and washed feet. Just something to keep in mind. Verses 11 to 13. And you shall say unto the woman of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And Jesus says, he shall show you a large upper room furnished, there make ready. And they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. So John and Peter, and that was calculated by our Lord, but that's another story again. They went and prepared the Passover. Just remember our theme, sharing together the victory what our Sunday meeting is, brothers and sisters. We often say, don't we, in our prayers or concluding prayer that we might have the energy to go into next week or words to that effect. Well, if we focus on the right thing, hopefully we are motivated to go forward in victory. I mean, you know the natural, and that's the power of the natural that teaches the spiritual. AFL Grand Final, Grand Slams, Formula Ones, if you barrack for someone and they win, you're usually pretty elevated in mind, aren't you? Because of the victory. You share the victory and you've done nothing to contribute to the victory in those events, sporting events, the gods of this world. We come to share a victory together. It should uplift us. Now, I know and we all know the reality of the human variable, as I call it. We can come Sundays, devastating news, traumas. That's understanding understandable isn't it that's the reality but the memorial meeting should be a focus on sharing the victory the passover verse 14 and when the hour was come he sat down already a contrast isn't it to exodus 12 where they stood he sat down and the 12 apostles with him and i think that's important and when the hour came, Jesus reclined at table and the apostles with him. They were sharing this together. And when the hour came, and again, good Bible study, the hour came. Bear that in mind. Now, what's interesting, Matthew and Mark also deal with the Passover or the Last Supper. What's interesting about verses 15 to 18 in the Gospel of Luke? You jumped ahead of me, my dear wife. That's true. But just those verses as in Luke. What's interesting? How many times have we... I'm not having a go at anyone. I know I don't teach in the right way and my children say that. But I want us to think... We've read this so many times. We've read Matthew 26 so many times, Mark 14. What jumps out at you about verses 14 to eight, 15 to 18 of Luke 22? Might be, but that's not, not the answer I'm after, Inca. I just compare it to Matthew 26, Mark 14. For the sake of, oh no, we're only 20 past eight, we're going well. They're not in any of the other Gospels. This, these verses don't occur except in Luke. 
right? They don't occur anywhere else in Matthew or Mark and certainly don't occur in John. That should flag our thinking. Only Luke records verses 15 to 18 and, as Becky rightly said, he mentions a cup first. And I know others have theories on this. I've talked to David when we meander Valley about this, but cups, but we'll just tuck that one aside. But Luke's the only one that records it like this. And this is the point. These verses could be deleted totally out of the Gospel of Luke and continue with verse 19 if you look at verse 19 and it parallels Matthew and Mark's record. It's just in the same. Now that to me makes Bible study, Bible reading, whatever term you want to use, interesting. Why? I don't have the answer. I've got some thoughts. I'm not going to presume to have the answer why the divine spirit or God's inspiration made it that way, but it's only in Luke and it's not in Matthew and Mark. You could have deleted those verses and none of us would have known any different. Because Luke then goes on in verse 19 and 20 to basically say the same as Matthew 26, Mark 14. So therefore, come back to the big picture. It's the Gospel of Luke. It's Jesus Christ as our great high priest. And I think Hebrews has a lot of clues for that. Because, of course, Paul tells us in Hebrews what the great high priest did, represented. And, of course, the other key is the New Covenant which I think is the key, but I'm not presuming to have the, all the answers. But just something to flag. How many times have we read it? Have we ever flagged that? Oh, wait there, verses 15 to 18, it's only in Luke. There's other things in these verses that are only in Luke. The key is the Passover and the cup. At least I believe the key is the Passover and the cup. Verse 15. And again, ask ourselves questions. Jesus says this, and he said unto them, with desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. That verse is loaded. Now we do know the word desire there. There's a noun and the verb of the same word in the Greek, and elsewhere it's lust. And the AV got it absolutely right every time they translated either lust or desire. Lust with a negative connotation, desire with a positive. They did well. So obviously this is positive. But we're going to ask, why is Jesus saying this? Why is he using, as it were, a Hebraism? You remember, die thou shalt die or eat thou shalt eat? In Genesis, that's a Hebrew idiom. It repeats the same thing. It's emphasising the point, which, of course, Jesus is. And this Passover, that's the key. This Passover that Jesus was about to literally do in that upper room with the twelve. So Hebraism, Hebrew background, Exodus 12. And there's your, Hebrew, your Greek words, just the noun and the verb. So Jesus is saying knowing he's going to be crucified within so many hours, I really desire to eat this Passover with you. Of course, we come Sunday, do we really desire to eat the Passover on the Sunday? And I always think of Brother Bob Lloyd. It's one of the first things I heard him say when I came into the truth. He asked his granddaughter, do you want to go to Disneyland? Max not here, no. And his granddaughter said, no. Nah. She didn't know what Disneyland was. The point he was making is when you don't, she didn't have any idea what Disneyland was like. Do you desire to eat the Passover? Nah, well, you don't understand what it's all about. It's celebrating victory. Of course, we desire to eat the Passover with him. It's the greatest feast we can do this side of the kingdom. That's why Jesus desired to eat it, and he was going to be crucified within the next few hours. So Hebraism, Old Testament idiom, idiom, if you like, what follows is the Old Testament basis for this Passover, and it is the foundation. John 13, this hour, look at, look at 
his hour. His hour has come that he should depart out of this world. That's why I desired to eat it. It was his doorway to eternity. More than that, it was his doorway to be with his father. And can we? No, we can't. But we'll put the question, can we even imagine what that meant to our Lord to be in the presence of his father? He knew what he was enduring. We understand that, the pain, the suffering, and Hebrews 12 says that. But for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despite the set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I mean, that is just mind-blowing. When we stop and think, and young people, don't have to be Einsteins to get encouragement out of the Bible. Just think of what it's saying. We're going to do the same one day. And the Passover we do on a Sunday is a vision of that. Sitting down and eating, firstly with our Lord Jesus and in eternity with Almighty God himself. It's mind-blowing, isn't it? It's beyond. And John and Deb always says, don't say it to me, Dad. I, I can't comprehend that. It blows my brain. Because that's eternal. We're finite. But Jesus could. Look at the play on words in Luke. To eat this Passover, Pascha, 3957 in Strong's, before I suffer, Pasco, 3958, almost the same word, just next to each other in Strong's. And we've heard, you know, that movie of Mel, I was going to say Mel Brooks, it wasn't Mel Brooks, Mel Gibson, The Passion of Christ. Some people have seen it. I haven't. I think it would be too gory for me. But the passion, that's what it is, the word suffer, the passion of Christ. But we've got those two words right next to each other, the Passover before I suffer. And that word suffer is only used by Luke. And again, that's interesting because Luke uses it elsewhere in his gospel. And look at the connections. Suffer with resurrection. See, Jesus looked beyond the crucifixion to the resurrection. And he looked beyond the resurrection to be with his father. Easy to say, isn't it, when you're going to be nailed to a tree, but it's what our Lord's mindset was that enabled him to endure. Suffer, be raised the third day. Luke 24, suffer to enter into glory. Beautiful couplets, all in Luke's gospel. Suffer to rise from the dead the third day. So he endured the cross. He went through the suffering, knowing for him... It was a doorway to eternity. And he desired to eat this Passover. Verse 16. For I say unto you, so now four, four, is giving you the reason why he said what he said in the previous verse, isn't it? I've desired to eat this Passover with you. Why, Lord? For I, personally, Jesus, will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. For him... This was that Passover, that doorway to eating in the kingdom of God. And of course, when we're in the divine realm, time is irrelevant. Just remember that in the divine realm, time is irrelevant. Why God could say through Paul in Romans 4.17, he says those things that be as if they are, that be not as if they are. Like God is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He's the God of the living, not of the dead. See, God's outside of time. So Jesus says, I desire to eat this Passover because I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Look at some of the other translations. Till it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God or the contemporary English version puts it, I won't eat another Passover meal until it is finally eaten in God's kingdom. This feast is a prophecy before and after. Back to Exodus 12 and to the kingdom. This puts it beautifully, the good news, until it is given its full meaning. Jesus understood it. Now let's look at it from the perspective of the twelve. They didn't know the full meaning of what Jesus was about to do, did they? But Jesus did. They would later, but do we when we come Sunday morning. When we partake of bread and wine on Sunday morning, the Passover meal, what does it mean to us? for each of us it is but a vision of eating 
with our Lord at his table and we'll all be immortal. Something worth living for, isn't it? Until it's given its full meaning. And there it is, verse 29. He says to the twelve, I appoint unto you a kingdom, as unto my father, verse 30, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And that's not just to the twelve. We won't be ruling the twelve tribes on the twelve thrones, but we will be at the Lord's table. It's powerful when we just digest it, brothers and sisters, and think about it. Verse 17. And he took the cup. He took the cup. Didn't take the bread. This is what throws us all over the place. There were four cups at the Jewish Passover. The Jewish traditional Passover. Not the Exodus 12 Hebrew original Passover. Because I don't read it there. We'll stick with Luke. Hebrew Passover. Gospel of Luke. Jesus, our great high priest, he took the cup. So if we understand what the cup represents, we can see why Jesus or Luke chooses to record this like this. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. There's a question. What did Jesus give thanks for? For the drink to sustain him? Well, it doesn't make sense. What did Jesus give thanks for? What do we on Sunday give thanks for? It bears thinking about we have a tradition and a traditional approach, but what does God want when we give thanks? We give a whole form of words, I'm not talking about that, but at the end of the day, if we're not thankful, it means nothing. If we're actually in ourselves aren't thankful for God in heaven, it means nothing. Because that was the Jews' problem. Remember Zechariah 7? When they came back from exile, they'd added a few more feasts because they were in exile. There was nothing wrong with that. And God said there's nothing wrong with that. So for 70 years they did these other feasts. And God says in Zechariah, because they went to Zechariah, and said, now we've come back into the land out of exile, will we continue to keep those feasts that we instituted because we were in exile? And you know, I'm sure you've heard some of you have heard John Martin talk about it. God's basic answer to Zechariah to the people of Israel was, what feasts? Were you keeping a feast to me? I, don't, I wasn't cognizant of it. The point I'm making is, brothers and sisters, we follow our tradition Sunday, we give thanks for the bread, we give thanks for the wine. What matters to our Father in heaven? Not the form of words, but whether we are actually thankful. And we can only, Greg, be thankful like Disneyland to go to if we know what? What's actually been done? Otherwise, we're just going through a process. We can't play with our Father in heaven, can we? We can't trick God. But we give thanks, we give thanks. And the brother coming up, yeah, he gives thanks on behalf of us. We understand that. But what about ourselves? Are we actually thankful? And so Jesus took the cup and gave thanks for the cup, for the new covenant for the shedding of his own blood. Why? Paul tells us in Hebrews, we'll, we'll get there, we're going well, we're going okay. And look at how the Amplified puts it. And he took a cup and when he'd given thanks, he said, take this and divide and distribute it among yourselves. And that's why I like the contemporary English. Share it with each other. You know, drink ye all of it. We've got all these things about what that means. It's very simple. It's not drink all of the cup. Particularly if you get a big one, you have to share it, and days gone by, and someone sort of looks at it and thinks, oh, damn, I've got to drink all of this. It means share it. Let's never lose the emphasis. Don't lose it in the symbol or in the doing of it. Divide and distribute or share it with each other, including our Lord. Take this and divide it among yourselves. Only Luke mentions the cup here in verses 17 and 18 out of order. Various exclamations, two cups, same cup, same record, repeated by Luke. Interesting to note the phrase kingdom of God is at the end of verse 16 and the end of verse 18. It's a bit almost like what you said last week, Brian, you know, the chiasma with the cross. Point starts, point finishes, point start, point finishes, 
first two points join, the last two points join. Kingdom of God, the end of verse 16. Kingdom of God, the end of verse 18. What's the key verse? Verse 17. It's good you did that last week, Brian, because that's exactly what Luke wants us to home in on. Verse 17, sharing the victory. Why do we have to have the emphasis of the cup? What's its relevance to Jesus as our great high priest, which is only mentioned in Luke and not Matthew and Mark? Certainly not John. Sharing the cup. And that's, we've just got there the two couplets, the chiasma with the key verse in verse 17. Now let's go back to Exodus. Let's all go back to Exodus. What we're going to do is quickly highlight the things from the original Passover. And we know, don't we, what they did in Exodus 12 with the original Passover was expanded out in all of the offerings. We know that, don't we? With all of the offerings under the law, the burn offering, the peace offering, the meal offering, the drink offering, do I miss one? The trespass offering and the sin offering. All of the aspects of the Passover were then expanded in all those offerings. The Passover is the foundational offering of all the offerings under the law. Just like, as some have said, Nebuchadnezzar's image is the foundation of all the prophecies of Daniel and Ezekiel and Revelation. So Exodus 12. Let's read it together. And verse 4. And if the household were too, too little for the lambs, let him and his neighbour next unto him take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make or count for the lamb. And again, that's where good other translations are helpful. Because you look at other translations, look at the contemporary English version. Must share it. Enough for everyone to have some of the meat. May share. That's the key. They were sharing the meal. And to a Hebrew, as we know, sharing a meal together was fellowship. Sharing a meal. And it's natural for us, isn't it? We share a meal with our friends, with each other. It is a form of fellowship. But again, that becomes so technical to the memorial meeting. Am I in fellowship with them? Am I not? Can I eat with them or can't I? Wrong, wrong focus. If that's our hang-up, it is a wrong focus. Because again, we sometimes forget, if I am in fellowship with God and the Lord Jesus, this is 1 John 1, and Greg, because Greg's Greek, is in fellowship with God and the Lord Jesus, then Greg and I are in fellowship. We work it the other way so often. It's got to be from God's perspective, and God only determines who's in fellowship with him and his son. Now, I'm not leading that to anything else. You should know me by now. That's not, that's not a hidden agenda on fellowship. What I'm trying to get at is when we share the memorial meeting together in faith, God will determine who's in fellowship. Exodus 12, the important key was they shared the feast together. Verses 7 and 8. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the side posts and on the upper door posts of the house wherein thou shalt eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in the night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and bear the herbs, they shall eat it. Again, the blood. Eat it, shall eat the flesh. Just pulling out the main keys. Verse 13. And the blood shall be for a token or a sign. Upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. The blood, the blood, I will pass over you. This is important because then it leads you to other questions. Verse 22 And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood. That is in the basin, and look at the end of verse 22, and none of you shall go out at the door of the house until the morning. Stay in the house, because it's the blood that protects you. Now think that through, and this is what you've got to do. Good Bible study is just thinking things through. The Jew could have eaten 
the Passover, eaten it, and then gone out before midnight, out of the house. What would have happened to them? Sorry? They would have died, but they ate the Passover. What protected them? The blood. Just natural thinking, isn't it? See, that's what you've got to do. Just think things through. They could have eaten the Passover and then gone out. And I'm echoing a phrase, and it was night. Where does it say that? Who did it say it of? And he went out, and it was night. And he went out, and it was night. He left. He had no protection. It was the blood that gave them life. Put it that way. Rather than dying, it was the blood on the top, the door and around it, that gave them life. It wasn't the eating of the Passover. just want you to think about that. Because naturally, they could have eaten the Passover, gone outside. Midnight came, and if they were still outside the house, they would have died. Because the blood didn't protect them. The blood, the blood. None of you should go out the door of his house until the morning. And there's another one that's a Christadelphian tradition. We must stay in the ecclesia. That's wrong. Does staying in the ecclesia save you? Really think things through. Does staying in the ecclesia save you? No. We need the ecclesia. Definitely. We need each other. Definitely. Forsake not the assembling ourselves together. It's the blood that will save us. Staying in the house is staying, John 15, in Christ. Christ is the only one that can save us. The ecclesia can't save us. But we've used that. I've heard it over the years. It's a traditional approach. Stay in the ecclesia like abide in the ship. Except you abide in the house. Except you abide in the ship. Acts 27, you cannot be saved. And we say, that's the ecclesia. It's not. Only a little bit of thinking shows you that. The ecclesia doesn't save you. It can help you in your faith in Christ. We're only saved in Christ. It's the blood that saves us. Verse 23, over the page. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. The blood will pass over, not suffer the destroyer. So when we come Sunday morning, bread and wine, yes, fellowship, sharing the victory. Look at the word divide. Back in Luke 22, we'll go back there, Luke 22. As we said, the word divide means to share. Have you finished Exodus 12? Yes, thanks, Greg. Exactly. Good one, Greg. Thank you very much because that re-emphasises what Exodus is making, the point it's making. The blood is what saved them, not the house. They, ate the, they could have eaten the meal, but, you know. Let's keep going. The word divide there, we said to distribute or share, but it also means to cleave asunder. doesn't mean in relation to the Lord's garments because we know they weren't. They were shared or divided out. They didn't rip them apart. That's another story. Now, when I read that, covenant, cup, blood, anyone, does that strike a chord with anyone else of our faithful father? Thank you, Brian. Which chapter do you think that might be in? You're writing, what was it? 15? Yep. What happened there in Genesis 15? Yep. Genesis 15, what did Abraham do? Covenant with Abraham. What did he have to grab? Long before the law of Moses, didn't he? And one bird. One bird, which wasn't divided. Three animals, one bird. And Hebrews, Hebrew... Specialists will tell you there, when it says a young pigeon, even a nestling, it's one bird, because it wasn't divided. 
There were seven pieces. Three animals divided in half. So we got there and one bird. Seven, the covenant number. The number of the covenant. I think it's beautiful. Luke's just alluding to that. Abrahamic covenant. And Jeremiah says that about the word covenant. When they cut the twaf, calf in twain and passed between the parts, it was a sharing. They went between it. They made a covenant with each other. It's something you do with someone else. God through Christ has made a covenant with us. On Sunday morning, we remember the cup, the covenant, the blood. And he took them and divided them in the midst. But the bird, and I've got the line birds, divided he not. It's singular in the Hebrew. And I think that fits because it's seven pieces. Luke 22, verse 18. So he took the cup, gave thanks, verse 17. He says, For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And the Lord uses that phrase, cup and the fruit of the vine. The product of the vine, the produce of the vine. I think that picture of the bowl there with the crushed grapes is very fitting, isn't it? It looks like blood. The crushed grapes. Because, again, we share the cup. We share the victory. We don't grab a piece of a grape. This is my grape. This is your grape. We share the cup, the produce of the vine. Let's go to John 18. Because Jesus said, I won't drink again to the kingdom. Actually, that's a wrong quote. It's John 19. It's a wrong quote. It's John 19. Remember what they painted the house with? A bit of hyssop. It was probably on a bit of cedar. I'm making this up. And it might have been tied together with a bit of scarlet thread. Because they had to make a little brush out of it. So a bit of timber. Had to hold the hyssop to it. With a thread. Now, why do I say that? Many of you know why I've said that. Because Numbers 19, anyone know what Numbers 19 is about? Heifer. The red heifer. The Nazarite vow. Just keep that in mind. Look at John 19, verses 28 and 29. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, says, I thirst. Now, there was set a vessel full of sour wine, as the word is, fruit of the vine, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. So they would have had to get up there to get to his mouth. It may have been a cedar, piece of cedar. Hyssop was definitely there and it may have been tied by a bit of scarlet thread. He fulfilled his Nazarite vow and he says, it is finished. And he did have this one. He didn't have the other drink earlier, the one with the narcotic in it. But he had this one. But he said, I won't drink it again till I fulfil it in the kingdom of God. He just fulfilled it. He will drink anew with us, because we just read that in Luke 22. But here he has fulfilled the covenant. Vinegar, sour wine. Wrong quote. John 19.30, we've already said that. It is finished. He fulfilled his vow. He fulfilled the covenant. He made it sure. Now, let's go to 1 Corinthians 10. Here's another thing that's interesting. We go to 1 Corinthians 11, don't we? And that's fine, but sometimes we forget first what 1 Corinthians 10 said about the memorial meeting or the Passover feast. 1 Corinthians 10. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 16. Paul says this, the cup of blessing. Notice the order Paul uses. Uses the cup before the bread. He's not talking about the order of ceremony, but he's referring to the Passover meal. Does exactly what Luke does. Talks about the cup first and then the bread. The cup of blessing. See, that little symbol of wine we have on a Sunday is full of a blessing. 
it actually is. I'm not talking literally, but when we understand what we're doing by faith, it's a blessing when you drink that. You're sharing the victory. You're sharing the new covenant, not the old covenant that condemned you to death. There's an old saying, isn't there, in the world, it was in the horse racing game, make every post a winner. That's what we've got to do. When we come on Sunday morning, make every post a winner. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? And there's another tradition we have when we break the bread. We say we must break our will. I don't read that anywhere. I don't read it anywhere in the context of the memorial meeting, the Passover feast. Why did they break the bread? Naturally, let's go natural first. Why did they break the loaf? So why don't we remember that? It's not about breaking our will. They broke the bread naturally to share it. It's all about sharing. So often we can focus on ourselves in the memorial meeting. We're not to. We're to focus on the victory, on God and the Lord. Let's look at another translation, the Amplified. The bread which we break, so we're homing on the bread at the moment, not the cup. Does it not mean that in eating it, we participate in and share a fellowship in the body of Christ? We're sharing the body. We may make an exhortation out of it, which I don't think is very motivating of breaking our will. That's doing a negative to achieve a positive. Isn't it better to do and overcome by doing than by not not doing? So we share in the body of Christ. Sharing in the body. That's what we do when we break that bread. We're sharing it naturally, literally. We're sharing in the body. Romans 6, the body of sin is destroyed by Jesus, not us. We haven't. We can't. It's impossible. We are sharing in the victory over sin and death. The body of sin was destroyed. Hebrews 2.14, first principle quote, we should all memorise it. Through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Sin personified, sin. We're sharing the destruction of sin. We're sharing a perfect life. Deliver them, isn't that an echo back to the Passover who through fear of death were all their life subject to bondage. Remember the original Passover? What did it celebrate? Deliverance naturally, literally from Egypt, didn't it? Always look at the natural first. You don't have to be Einstein then and try and figure out what the spiritual is. They were in bondage in Egypt, naturally, in bondage. And they were delivered out of bondage to freedom to walk towards the promised land. We are in bondage to sin and death. The Passover, we celebrate deliverance from bondage to sin and death. That's why we do it every week. It's the greatest thing to do together. The cup of blessing which we bless. AV terminology just means to give thanks. That word 2127 is like a eulogy. To give thanks. Let's go back to Luke. Luke 22. Verses 19 and 20, the same as Matthew 26. And Mark 14, more or less. But in Luke 22, Jesus took the bread, gave thanks, break it, gave it unto them. This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise, the cup after supper, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Always remember the cup is the new covenant. That's important. Because it's the blood that saves us. It's the blood that gives us life. And that's interesting when you look at Leviticus 17. There was two types of blood there. One that was poured into the ground, death. One that was offered or given as life. 
this cup is the New Testament or covenant ratified in my blood. What does ratified mean, basically? It's a big word. To bring into effect. Yep. To seal. To seal. I like, just make sure. It's definite. Once Jesus said it is finished on that cross and died, he destroyed the body of sin, he was raised three days later to new life, the covenant was made sure it's irrevocable, it's in concrete, it can't be changed. We are saved by grace through faith. If we believe this. That's why the cup's so important, brothers and sisters. It has sealed our fate. We're saved if we believe it. And that's what he says. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not a sharing together of the blood of Christ? When we have the wine, we're sharing the new covenant, which is why, for me, Luke does those verses 15 to 18 on his own. It's all about the new covenant, which is ministered by our great high priest, which is, just fits so beautifully to me for Luke, because Luke is the only one that records it. And this is 1 Corinthians 11, verse 25, and it's the same wording as Luke's gospel. Now, we know in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, Paul says, For I have received of the Lord. Right? But there's no doubt at all. Luke, uh, Paul in Corinthians has referenced the Gospel of Luke for the Last Supper, the memorial meeting, the Passover feast. Because Luke emphasises the importance and the emphasis of the memorial meeting, which, of course, fits the context of 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 11 doesn't it? If you remember, they'd forgotten what they were there for. They'd had a great idea. It was a great idea, wasn't it, to begin with. Let's have a, a meal together. And then the emblems, as we put it. But the focus of the new covenant got lost, so Paul had to remind them. You're saved by the life of Christ. Don't start looking at each other's plates, who's got the best meal and who's hungry. Context of 1 Corinthians 11. This is why we remember the new covenant. Receive the promise of an eternal inheritance. Paul's now contrasting, isn't he, in Hebrews... The old law, the law of Moses, which only gave death and condemned, to the new covenant. And again, these are just words, but this is powerful if we just digest it. On Sunday morning, we share in the victory. We are in the new covenant, brothers and sisters. When we are baptised, we are in Christ. We are under the new covenant, the promise of eternal inheritance. Better covenant established upon better promises got to remember that. If we're going to give thanks for the cup, remember it's the new covenant. There. Hebrews 13, how does Paul finish? Now the God of peace. Again, it's contextual. The God of peace, not absence of war. This is unity. At one with God, reconciled to God. That brought again from the dead. Our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant. You will stay alive for eternity because of that covenant. Again, just think that through. You stayed in that house where the blood was, you lived. When we're all immortalised by faith in God's grace and we live beyond the millennium, we'll continue to live because of that covenant. I don't know about you, but that's mind-blowing because of what our Lord did. When we're 10 trillion years of age, it's because of that covenant that God made and that Jesus did for us. Do you love your Lord? Do you love God? Really? We will when we know what he's done for us. When we really understand what he's done. Won't we? We'll all agree on that. Do you want to go to Disneyland? No. Do you want to be in the kingdom? No. Do you love God? Yes, we do. Let's conclude 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57.
of all those symbols there. We've got the bread, the wine, Lord on the cross, the empty tomb. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Just interesting. We listened to Brother Tim Caldebiano on Sunday and it was too late to get the hymns changed for tonight. But if you've got your hymn book there, hymn 335 in the green hymn book, just the last verse, they had it, they had it there at Townsville Memorial Meeting. When, I, when we sung it, I thought, oh, wow. Just the last verse, brothers and sisters, and we'll conclude. Hymn 335, verse 3. I'm almost doing a Roger Lewis here, aren't I? Concluding with a hymn. Or righteousness fulfilling, our Lord, salvation one. Let's remember when we come Sunday morning, focus is not on us at all. It's on bread and wine, but it's not on that either, is it? They're symbols. It's on God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us, and Jesus gave him life. Our Lord, salvation one, the victory is one. It's done. It's over. The covenant's made. We too would share the blessing. See, beautiful words. We'll share the blessing, the cup of blessing, with thy beloved son. Is he the beloved son? He is of God, isn't he? We too would bring our offering, obedience full and free, something to think about, would share the same shame and sorrow, but here's the point, to share the victory. Just remember, brothers and sisters, make every post a winner. Bread and wine, Passover feast. Remember what we're actually doing on that day. We are sharing together the victory. Thanks, Steve. Thank you for listening to the Good Christadelphian Talks podcast. We hope this talk helped you in your walk. If you would like to hear more, please subscribe for new episodes and leave a review in Apple Podcast or whichever service you are using to help more people find the show when they search for it. If you enjoyed this particular talk, please share it with someone who you think might enjoy it as well. For show notes on the talk you just listened to, visit our show page at anchor.fm gct or check the show notes section of your podcast player. Please share your thoughts on the talk from this week on our Facebook or Instagram pages, where we are at Good Christadelphian Talks, on Twitter, where we are at GCT underscore podcast, or leave a comment on our YouTube channel where these talks are posted as well. If you know of a great talk, we want to know about it too. Send a suggestion to our email at goodchristadelphiantalks at gmail.com or message us on any of our social media accounts. Thank you for listening. God bless and talk to you next week.